Amen. So glad you're here. I'm Ashley. I'm the teaching pastor at our Malden campus. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Acts chapter 28. That's where we'll be today. Um, we're finishing our series called Sent. Uh, we've been in it now for the last 18 weeks going through the book of Acts. So thank you for being a trooper and hanging in there all through those weeks. If you're here, maybe as uh, Catherine said, for the first time, uh, thank you for being here today. And we're winding up this series uh, today in Acts chapter 28. So I'd love to read a passage together with you. And then we'll jump into uh, our time this morning and studying God's word. Acts 28 and we will begin in verse 17 through the end of the chapter. And as always, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen for you as well. Let's read together. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. This is Paul. Uh, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty or to set me free because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you and what your views are for with regard to this sect or, or to the way as it was referred to, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And turn or repent, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles because they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to finish out this series in Acts I'm grateful for the opportunity that you'll give us to study your word, and I pray to be challenged by it. But I also pray to be encouraged by it. As, we, as we'll study, as we've just read, as we'll continue to discuss this morning, God, it is a theme that runs throughout the book of Acts that the author, Luke, wanted to make sure he conveyed, and that is this. As the gospel moves forward, as the gospel advances it will face opposition. And the very opposition that it faces will be what propels it forward. 
And although this that we read about today and study in Acts happened in the first century, that truth is still true today. That when we face opposition, because we are being faithful and obedient to live out the gospel, to tell others about the gospel, the very resistance and the opposition that we face propels that message forward into doors that were closed before, into areas that have never heard it, into the lives of people who are lost and dying and face an eternal separation from you. So thank you for that truth. Thank you for the, the conviction it brings. Bring clarity today as we discuss this and finish out this series. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by, stating, by saying this. Christianity is not what it used to be. Uh, Christianity is not what it used to be. That may confuse you, so let me explain that a little bit. I, I, I want to do, spend the next few minutes uh, framing uh, for us what I think is important in understanding uh, why and how we should live our faith out in the face of, in spite of, the opposition that comes against us. And why that was true in the first century, and it should also still be true 20 centuries later in the 21st century. But I want to compare and contrast a little bit the messages that we get today, a lot of times from pulpits, or maybe a podcast, or someone that you may watch on TV, a speaker, a pastor, a preacher that would convey a message that I think in many instances, at least in our culture today, is contrary to Scripture, contrary to what we read about in the first century. So I want to take a minute to explain Christianity is not what it used to be by comparing the two. So in the 21st century, for example, you are told that as a Christ follower, we need to live happy lives. And whatever that means, to live happy. In other words, to do things for ourselves that make us happy. That that is Christianity in the 21st century. But I, I think if you would read uh, any length of time in the New Testament, the message from the first century from Jesus to his disciples, is that happiness is not the goal, but being joyful in spite of difficult circumstances is the goal. So joy, not happiness. In the 21st century, we get the, the message of success and that if you're doing all that you're supposed to do, if you're living your faith out as you're being told to by someone else, if you're giving enough, if you're sacrificing enough, if you're saying the right things, doing the right things, then you should be successful in your life and whatever that means for you. That's a 21st, 21st century message of what Christianity should be from a lot of people today. The converse, the contrast to that in the first century is that we're called to be a servant. Not successful, but to be a servant. Paul used the word doulos. Doulos is literally a slave. Paul described himself as being a slave to the gospel, to Christ, and serving him. So not successful in the worst sense of that term in the Christian life, but a servant, to live out your faith that way, to serve others. We have a 21st century understanding of Christianity that may include words like pride or boastfulness or arrogance, to lift yourself up, whereas the first century gospel proclaimed that we should humble ourselves and we should give. 
We have a message from the 21st century that may say you should be among all of the people you're with, your family, whoever it is, that you should be the greatest of these. We have a message from the first century that says you should be the least of these. That's from Jesus himself. And then I think this connection with where we are today resonates instead of a 21st century message that says that Christianity and living a Christian life would lead to a life of relative ease for you. The contrast to that message is the church in the first century. That it will lead to a life if you live your faith out consistently in front of those who have no idea who Jesus is, who need the gospel. If that's your goal and that's what you do, if you're faithful to do that, then you will lead a life of consistent opposition and struggle. You will come up against resistance continuously. Why? Because we live in a world that's fallen. Because we live in a world that's sinful. That needs to be redeemed. That will be, if you've read Revelation, will be redeemed and made new one day. But God has chosen in his way to use his people to share the gospel in order to bring about redemption, and in doing so, it's going to require that you face consistent opposition as you live the gospel message out. Now, that may not, that may not be the Christianity you signed up for. That may not be what you thought it was going to be. I didn't come here this morning to disappoint you. What I want to tell you this morning is the gospel message, as it's lived out faithfully in my life, as you live out the gospel message faithfully in your life in front of whoever you are going to face resistance in your life. So if you do an assessment of yourself right now and ask yourself, when is the last time I faced resistance because I was living faithfully and obedient to the gospel in my life? And there's been a long time, if ever, you can remember of facing some sort of resistance. Then I would encourage you to do a spiritual assessment of where you are. Because if I read the New Testament, right, and especially the book of Acts, everywhere the gospel went into the world, it faced resistance. Everywhere the gospel went in the world, it faced opposition. And God chose to use that very opposition to advance the gospel. And that's the book of Acts. And as we close that today, my prayer is you've heard that theme all the way through. And it helps you and I temper our experience in the world. So that when we face opposition to the gospel message, we're not caught off guard by it. It's not the exception to the rule. A 2022 Barna study reveals that there, there are people who don't talk very often about their faith. And they offer this uh, as a reason that religious conversations always seem to create tension or argument. 28% of the people they surveyed said that. The reason I don't talk about my faith, the reason I don't live my faith out, the faith that I claim to believe, the faith that I, that I say to other people define who I am. I'm a Christ follower. The reason I don't tell people about that consistently is because I don't want the tension and the opposition that will come from the other side. 28% of the people said that. Paul, <clears throat> in describing the Christian faith, his own journey in the gospel, and living his faith out consistently, describes it as running a race or competing in a race. That's how he defines it. Paul says in Philippians that he is finishing the course or he has finished the course. He has run the race that has been set before him. That, that kind of attitude towards the Christian faith and living out a Christ-centered faith requires a purpose greater than, than yourself. 
It requires you to move yourself out of the center of your life and replace that with Christ. He is the center of your life. If it's only for me, if it's only for my benefit, living this Christian life, for my immediate satisfaction or success or comfort or pleasure, then it will not be a course worth running or a game worth playing. As soon as the opposition hits, as soon as the resistance comes against you, more than likely, if you're in it only for you, you will stop running the race. You will get off the course. It's almost like the end of a great, fa- uh, great vacation instead of crossing the finish line. Some of you may be coming off a of vacation week. Some of you may, be ha- may have one coming up. You're looking forward to it. But you know, as well as I do, because I feel this too, coming off the vacation is a tough thing. It's a high. Some people say, man, I need a vacation from the vacation that I just went on. We live many times the Christian life in that way. We want it to be the vacation experience instead of the running faithfully and obediently the race set before us, as Paul described it. So, in the last section of the last chapter of Acts that we just read, Paul is, is, is committed to finishing the race, despite the opposition. In fact, because of the opposition, the gospel continues to move forward. And that's always how Paul framed the opposition that he faced, the persecution that he faced. Because of these chains, change, the gospel moves forward. Paul always saw it that way. From the outset, you remember if you've been here or if you've just read it before, Acts 1-8 is the grand mission of God to his disciples. You will be, he said, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then what? To the ends of the earth. To the known world. So from Acts 1-8 until now in Acts 28, Paul, on literal house arrest in chains in Rome, is in... At that time in the first century, the capital of the known world. So what has the gospel done from Acts 1-8 into Acts 28? It has done exactly what Jesus said it would do. As you are my witnesses and as you face opposition, the gospel moves out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, to the known world. And that's exactly where we find Paul in Acts 28. Opposition to our message is not the way we want our life of faith, our Christian life to go. We wouldn't sign up for it. What I, what I hope to encourage you today with is to expect it, to not be caught off guard by it, for it to be part of the norm of your Christian faith because that's how the gospel moves forward as I'm faithful and obedient to share it. We prefer the summer vacation experience rather than the running the race experience. I'm guilty of that. We prefer the highs over the lows. Anybody would say that. We want it to be a week of fun rather than a life of constant resistance. Everybody would say amen to that. Nobody wants that resistance. But I think it's important for us as Christ followers in the room, those who know Christ, those who would say you're a Christian, to expect that you're going to face opposition if you're being faithful and obedient to share the message of the gospel. It will not be a life of relative ease. You're going to face, and we should expect to face, opposition. And through that opposition is how 
that message of the gospel continues to move out to impact the world. We never want that dream vacation to end. We strive towards the finish line in order to compete the race. That's the attitude we should have. The Christian life must be understood, and I hope this comes across this morning, as a race and not a vacation. As, hey, I want to finish well, and I've got a finish line and a goal that I'm after. And that's how we understand this Christian life that we live. So two things, two points this morning. These are in your notes. We are sent, when we are sent, sorry, we should expect first opposition to the gospel. When you and I are sent, which is the the title of this whole series, but when we live a life of faithful obedience to share the gospel and to go into the world that God has called you to go into, I can't go into your world. You have been sent into your world as a student, at your job, a hobby that you're involved in. Whatever you do, you as a Christ follower have been sent into that world. And as you go into that world, hopefully being faithful to share the faith that, that you have, the story of your transformation, there will be opposition to the gospel. Look back in verse 19. Paul is saying, for this reason, he's speaking here to the Jewish leaders, I have asked to see you and speak with you. Since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Paul was in chains. Paul was on house arrest. And he had called these Jewish leaders to the place where he was in order to share with them the hope. This was a pattern for Paul. If you've been studying through Acts, you see this. Every city, town he went into, Paul first went where? To the synagogue. And he started there. And then from there, as he's either accepted or more than likely rejected, the gospel moves out from the Jewish nation to now the Gentile nation. Because as Isaiah chapter 6 says, they will listen. They will hear. Paul continues in that section in, in 19 and 20, but because the Jews reject, uh, objected, basically rejected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. Listen, the expectation of many is to live in peace and relative comfort ex- or believing in the idea and the person of Jesus, believing that he's a good person, believing that, yeah, the Bible says He is who he says he is, believing in the idea of it, but not becoming a follower of Jesus. That's too much, pastor, for me to do that part. I'll believe in what the New Testament says about him, but if you're going to ask me to give up something in order to follow him, that, that crosses the line for me. That's too far for me. Opposition is not the exception to the rule Following in the footsteps of Jesus, if that's who you say you are, if that's who I say I am, following in the footsteps of Jesus, so to speak, is a Luke 9.23 life. And if you know Luke 9.23, it says this. Jesus says to those who want to follow him, if you're going to follow me, here's what you have to do. It wasn't a think about doing this. It wasn't a if you have a good day, do this. It was if you're going to follow me, do this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow. That's what Jesus told those who are wanting to follow him. That's what it requires. It's that kind of life. There's a cost that if it's paid, it leads to a great reward. 
God's way with men and women in the world is the doctrine, you've heard this word before maybe, of providence, the way that God works in the world behind the scenes, orchestrating events. His eternal and all-powerful presence in the world to redeem the world, that's his purpose, that's his goal. From the very beginning in Genesis 3, he had been working towards redeeming all of creation. His eternal and all-powerful presence directing the events of your life to accomplish his purpose. However difficult it may be, and, and some of you in the room right now may be facing things that are just overwhelming. You barely made it here this morning. As you face those events in your life, we are not told to look at them, put on a smile, and act like they're not happening. We are told, even in the difficult moments, to be joyful. Why? Because there's a confidence in knowing that God is working out something. Even though I can't tell what it is right now, I know he's doing it. And I trust him, not me. And so I'm going to go through this difficult time in my life, and I'm going to face this, trusting the whole time that he's going to do a work that only he can do. Philippians 1.9 says, the work that he started in you, what he will complete in your life. And that, there's a confidence that comes out of that belief and that God is working in that way. Here's a statement to summarize this first point, then we'll move quickly to the second. An underlying theme within the providence of God is how temporary opposition and struggle and pain leads to ultimate victory in your life. That's a theme throughout this whole doctrine of the providence of God, that yes, I'm facing difficult trials, stress, pain, struggle, loss, opposition. But I believe that this temporary affliction, as Paul says it in Romans, will lead one day to God's ultimate victory in my life. Whether, listen, whether it's in this life or it's in the next, he will have victory using this in my life to create in me something only he can create. But I believe in that, and my confidence comes from that, not in what I can do, but in what he can do and what he has done. The divine economy of God has always been temporary affliction leading to ultimate triumph. All you got to do is look at the life of Christ. All the people of his day looked at him hanging on the cross, even his disciples, and said, man, we thought he was the one. I guess not. And they went and hid. They thought it was a defeat. But even in that ultimate, what seemed like a defeat, was God's greatest triumph, was God's greatest victory in overcoming death. It's the way God works in our life and in the world to accomplish his purposes. The only biblical understanding of a Christian is one who consistently faces opposition resulting in confidence in your life, in him, and joy in your life, that no matter what circumstance you face, however difficult it may be, I know he's working out a purpose in my life, and I'm confident in that, and I trust fully in him. Jesus, even to his own disciples in John 14, said this. In this world, what does he say? You will have trouble. John 14, not that you might have it. Not, don't be surprised if it comes your way. You will have trouble. You will experience trouble in your life. And then he goes on to say, but take heart. That literally means encourage yourself with this truth. I, Jesus said, have overcome the world. So although you're going to face it, and it may be overwhelming for you, you can trust and have confidence in knowing that I've overcome all of that. And your trust, your confidence, your joy 
in this life comes from that. There's an encouragement when you look for many of you in the room who may be uh, involved in, in, in some sort of getting in shape or some sort of activity with a trainer or maybe a life coach. Well, that life coach is in your face or that, that trainer is in your face encouraging you to do the next thing that you can do it, keep going, don't quit. When we think of it that way and we look at them, we say to ourselves, man, if they can do it, I can do it. In, this, in, in some similar ways, I think when we look at Christ and what he has done for us, that needs to be our response. He did it, so I can do it. He has overcome so either in this life or the next, I will overcome. That resistance, that opposition to the gospel leads to the second point, which is opportunities for the gospel. The opposition that you face will lead to opportunities for you to share the gospel. Back in verse 28 of chapter 28, Paul says this, let it, or therefore let it be known to you that this, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Why? Because they'll listen. They haven't rejected it. He lived there two whole years. Luke is writing here about Paul. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, under house arrest, earning his own living at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul continuously faced opposition, especially from his own people. This quote that we read in, in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 28 was from Isaiah 6. What he's saying there in that quote that they will see but not see or perceive, that, that will, they will hear but not understand, only the truth can win and change their hearts and their life. But their negative response, the Jewish people's negative response to those hearers would pass the point of no return for them. They would continue to reject, and because of their rejection, the gospel message would move to a whole other people group. The Gentiles would now be the ones who would hear and listen. Though he had no freedom to move, speaking of Paul, he was on house arrest. He couldn't just go where he wanted to. He was still able to act as a Christian missionary. Since people could come and see him anytime they wanted to, Paul could well write, speaking to Timothy and writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he wrote this, The gospel for which I am suffering and wearing chains or wearing fetters like a criminal, that gospel for which I am doing this, Paul says, but the word of God is not fettered. In other words, the word of God is not chained. The word of God continues to go out. The gospel continues to move forward. Even though I'm chained and on house arrest, treated like a criminal, the gospel moves forward. Whatever is the truth, the fate of Paul is secondary to that of the gospel. The final picture is of Paul preaching to the Gentiles the same message which he had preached throughout Acts with boldness and without hindrance. What, what you and I have to do, and this begins to summarize and end our time this morning, what you and I have to do is to decide if, if I or you love people enough to give up temporary pleasure, give up temporary comforts, expect resistance and opposition for their eternal gain because that's what's on the line where they're going to spend eternity. God is asking us to be faithful to share a message that could change all of that for them just as it changed your heart. Unexpected opposition, 
will reduce opportunities to share the gospel. It will reduce it down to just an obstacle. When I don't expect opposition, when I don't believe that should be a part of my Christian life, then I see that opposition only as an obstacle and it keeps me from moving forward. I turn the other way. I don't say the word I should say in that moment. I don't stand up for what I believe in that moment because I don't want to see the opposition. I don't want to face that resistance. The final words of the book, with all boldness and without hindrance, that's a characteristic, that's a theme, all the way from back to chapter four of Acts. When we speak without hesitation and when we speak boldly, what we do is we speak candidly with people. We tell them, we don't sugarcoat it. We give them the truth of God's word. We're candid with them. The word is clear to them. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. Not just doing things you want to do, when you want to do them, but putting Jesus on the throne of your life, following him, him being Lord of your life. And we speak confidently. I'll end with a statement and then an illustration to to close our time. God's great mission to redeem creation is accomplished through your faithful and obedient gospel-centered response. God's great mission, Acts 1-8, Matthew 28, God's great mission to redeem all of creation is accomplished through your faithful and obedient gospel-centered response. Listen, and always in the face of opposition, always in the face of opposition, living out what you believe to be true, the gospel, God's great mission moves forward. The world this past week was captivated by the, the story of the Titan submersible. I'm sure you watched it as much as I did. Tragic ending to that story. The Titan submersible was lost at sea in an attempt to explore the Titanic. Five crew members lost their life as they sought to dive down to the wreckage. I believe the number was almost two and a half miles down. They had determined to risk their life. The risk to their lives was worth exploring a lifeless relic resting at the bottom of an ocean. Of all the tragic elements of that story, and it is tragic, and there'll be a lot of discussion about what happened for months to come. But of all the tragic elements of the story, one thing stood out to me as I thought about this morning. Those crew members had determined that the reward was worth the risk. The reward to go was worth the risk of their own life. So they checked all the boxes on the, on the document and they went. The question that came to my mind is, for what am I willing to give my life for? Am I willing to give my very life for this? The question I would ask you is the same. Paul was willing to give his very life for the advancement of the gospel, the truth about Jesus and his plan to redeem all of creation. Am I willing to give that much my very life if it's asked? The risk is only understood in light of the reward.
The crew of the Titan, for them, they assessed the reward and determined that the risk was worth it. And it was a tragic ending. As we close today, the question I would ask is for you and I to assess whether or not your neighbor's life, your co-worker's life, your friend's life, your family member's life is worth the risk of the opposition you'll face if you faithfully and obediently live out the gospel in front of them. Is it worth the risk? I believe scripture is pretty clear to us. It should be. Jesus gave everything for us, gave it all up for us, and he asks us to share in his sufferings as we live out our faith. The result of that assessment will determine the level of opposition, in other words, the amount of risk you're willing to endure in order to live a gospel-centered life in front of that family member, in front of that friend, in front of that group at work. So today we want to end this way. We want to give you a tool. Last week it was a domino. It's not going to be something every week, so don't get used to that. But this week we've got a wristband. There's some images on the screen. We want to give you the opportunity, as you've been praying this past week, because of that domino, God, give me someone. Who is that person? Who is my one to share Christ with? He may have been clear to you. This is who it is. So today we want to give you these wristbands. You can grab them on the way out on the table. And this is a simple message, the story of Jesus, to at least begin the conversation for you as you wear it. Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he ascended, and he's coming back. Simple icons to convey the message of Jesus and who he is. So my prayer for you today as we close is that you will take that band and you will wear it this week, no matter what or where God leads you, and that he gives you the opportunity to face opposition, but to be bold and confident and faithful and obedient in your response as you live out the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to hear your word. Thank you for the study of the book of Acts. My, my prayer today is that all the way through this book, we have read and we have seen and we have studied how the gospel moves forward because of the opposition it faces. You are calling some in this room this morning to step into arenas, to step into offices, to step into conversations, to step into homes where they know they will face resistance and opposition as they share their faith. As they boldly proclaim this message of Jesus, I pray God that you would confirm that for them this morning, that you would give them boldness as you did Paul, and that as they expect that opposition, they still step forward obediently and share that message, the good news of Jesus Christ with anyone and everyone they come in contact with this week. And I pray this in Jesus' name.